Good morning, people. In this episode, I sit down with my longtime friend Rich Trapani, or Rich DDT, as residents of the Bay Area know him. Originally out of my hometown, Boston, he's made a name for himself out on the West Coast running an immersive new media salon called Love Tech. It's a dance party slash multimedia arts expose where tinkerers, artists, and other participants can hang out, socialize, and expose each other to new types of tech, grab a drink, and get down on the dance floor to some of the scene's most innovative producers. It's been happening for about 10 years now, until COVID threw a wrench into the live nightlife scene. Rich is really active in the new media art scene as well, and was one of the artists selected to produce custom work for the new Meow Wolf property in Vegas. He spent time working with Illuminate the Arts and Anticlockwise, producing permanent placemaking features here in the Bay. We talk about the state of immersive theater and how COVID might fundamentally change the shape of counterculture going forward. It's a really interesting conversation, and I think you'll enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. So with that, let's jump right in. Right, that's that's the hope that like this the the pandemic and like the the flee from San Francisco would kind of like reset, you know, reset the table, you know, kind of reset things and let let a more artistic vibe come back in. Yes. I, I was talking to a friend about that um, earlier tonight, actually, how like, you know, whatever happens after COVID, it's going to be, um, it's almost like a bookmark, right? And then, then like whatever happens after is going to be like this whole new, like I don't see like Burning Man being like the pinnacle of, of counterculture anymore. You know, I think that I think that's, you know, whether or not it happens uh, after, after like whether or not it comes back in in the same form, like I think that it's almost like, you know, that wave has crested. I feel that. I mean, fortunately, it's infused a lot of alternative ideas and cool art aesthetic and uh, unique ways of engaging in interactive spaces it's infused that into greater culture and um, that impact, I think is still resonance. And yeah, even if it were to disappear, the momentum will carry on and people will start crafting their own versions. I mean, there's been the regionals forever, but um, doing it in other formats is what is interesting. Like taking some of those bits of culture and injecting it everywhere. Yeah. But it's like, it, it... Like, imagine if, all right, so no one's partied for the last, like, two years or a year, right? It's, it's been, like, it's been, it's been, partying has been turned off, right? So, and, like, all, basically all forms of counterculture have been kind of, like, turned off. And um, I think that it's going to, like, when people do come back to, to, like, a social norm of some kind, it's going to be, like, like, revenge partying. You know, like, people are going to be, like, partying, like, there's no tomorrow, or at least, yeah, I, I feel like trying to make up for all that lost time. <laughs> yeah, like a cultural uh, renaissance of sorts. You know, that, that's I hope I hope there will anyway. It seems like that that could be a likely outcome to 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 this whole thing is like new forms of expression would would come to the fore because people have been so repressed for the past year and a half. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that that's the biggest hope that there are a lot of new forms of expression that get premiered that's always been a goal of mine with love tech is like how do we redefine the dimensions of expression and and making art and music and um creating interactive experiences 
Um, so you've had Love Tech for a long time, right? Like basically as long as I've been in the Bay, I'm, I've been like aware of, uh, of Love Tech being uh, like a thing. Yeah. Know, like an institution. And it's just, it's been going on for so long. Describe like, like where did that come from? Like what is Love Tech? Where did that, I mean, I understand it's kind of like a, it was like a new media art event. And it was one yeah. of the first ones in the Bay as, as far as I, I saw. Yeah, there wasn't anything like it um, when we started out. And it was crafted in the form of an event series um, and new media. Uh, specifically, there was ways of creating music, uh, creating electronic music that were an alternative to the um, you know, more mainstream DJ format. So, you know, DJs have been getting people to dance for decades and often it's in the format of play a really good song, read the crowd. Love Tech was like, well, there's all this great new technology coming out. We really love the aesthetic and practice of playing with other people, uh, of performing live by playing notes in real time and, and doing things that are a lot more musician class than playback class in terms of performance. So there was a great push towards how do we make electronic music live? And, you know, before Love Tech, there was live PA and um, plenty of people doing similar things. But what made Love Tech stand out uh, when we started back in 2009 was how do we fuse um, the latest ideas in live electronic music making with an environment that's filled with not just music environments, but interactive LED sculptures, workshops and forums on how to build cool art using new technology and a great dance party aesthetic that took it a little bit out of its uh, more heady corner space and try to bring it more into a greater light of uh, the same, a lot of the same people that went to Burning Man were the original audience. So yeah, feeding into that cultural loop. And that's very cool, man. Yeah. I remember that was one of the first like city-based events that I ended up at. I don't know how I found it, but I, I distinctly remember going to to Love Tech. And I met a bunch of people at that event that I'm still in touch with today, which it's really crazy. You know what I mean? It's very like, it's an institution. It's cool. Thanks. And it's, I think it was very like, when I, when I found it, I was just like, oh, cool. It's like, it's very focused on the media arts. And that was like, you know, back then I was doing uh, the VJing thing and I was very much like, oh, cool. Yeah, we wanted to give VJs a big platform too. It's like, we want this to be a multimedia canvas where people can play with new technology, play with live performance techniques in multiple mediums and connect with each other and hopefully kick off new collaborations. We've had um, four different instances of like bands and formations that have kicked off from performers that met each other at Love Tech and uh, you know really hit it off and got to try out new performance formats. And yeah, the, the way to connect people that are like-minded and really pushing the cutting edge of what we can do with technology. Um, it's really a great, it's, it feels great to see people connect through that medium and look forward to uh, having a great excuse to bring their visions to life. And you know, we, we had like Tim Thompson has been building interactive art for many, many decades now. And wait, wait, wait. He's the guy. <laughs> Tim Thompson is the guy with that. Um, he had uh 
he was using a connect and he had this like crazy like it was almost like a board and you would play the 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 board with the connect is that is it the right person yes so um and he was in the controller battle you know we, we amped up the whole um competitive edge of the experience to inspire people to do new performances and he he brought out the space palette is what you're talking about he brought that out during the controller battle and uh it is true gaming the gaming element of like there was always this gaming element like you and uh moldover it was like there was this gaming element to the things that you guys were doing and that was like i don't know it was really cool like all the installations you guys did like there was that one where you like you have like hold hands and it would like connect a circuit oh yeah the thing that you do at parties i remember that thank (laughs) you that's cool that was a cool planetarium (laughs) format um and that premiered uh well, I guess the very first performance or the uh, very first installation of that was at a false prophet event at Gray Area Gallery. And uh, yeah, basically, I was looking for a way to control a planetarium style um, experience where you get to go on different journeys through the cosmos based on um, who you're holding hands with. So you're like standing around the space in a ring and you can activate different segments to connect these cosmic hands to each other. And then if you connect all the people in a ring around the planetarium, then it unlocks the cosmic portal and goes on a full, uh, like, it, it shows the scale of the universe from the greatest to the smallest. That's very cool, man. That's a really cool concept. <laughs> I love the way that, um, yeah, that's like, that's an experience where like, new media technology you know it's like it's a technology enabled experience yeah and that it's been focused like novelty it's kind of it's an excuse to be creative really i mean new technology is coming out all the time but to have um an opportunity to look at something new that comes out there's a new sensor let's say there's a new lidar sensor we want to play with and find a way to read the environment like having that be the impetus to express your idea with is what's especially cool about this culture yeah. um well, new technology is, is always like throughout the history of of like humanity right new technology um it breeds art yeah. i think that's like ingrained in humans you know what i mean and like new media art is just you know like cave painting was new media art like, back <laughs> in the day oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like oh shit we can draw on this wall <laughs> that's that's new technology OG technology totally yeah it's, this is just a continuation of that and it's it's funny how there's like you know it's we categorize everything you know humans categorize that's what we do but it's like really it's just a continuation it's like a spectrum you know it's like a continuation of the same thing that yeah we've always done we're just like ah oh, new things it's like play with it <laughs> and there's uh, multiple levels of depth there because you know some of the things that come out more quickly um maybe it's just a more superficial format of what could be perceived as a tech demo or something but um what's interesting about having it as a recurring event um is you get a chance to practice more with the technology until it becomes a tool that you can use to express whatever your artistic vision is that was one thing that was unique about love tech compared to all the other um electronic music dance parties because it it definitely resembled that more than any other type of events uh, during our most popular years. Like having um, people gather for most 
DJ crews and dance parties is about the genre of music that you're going to enjoy. But Love Tech was never tied to a genre. So we would always have different themes and it would feature, it always feature something new and innovative and performance oriented, but we could switch up the genre and like attract a whole new audience and give people wide spectrum of flavors. Well, that's what's cool about an art event, right? Is that you, you, it's, all right, you know how like the Take Three community, it's like, it's festivals, but it's not a music festival. It's an experience festival. Yeah. And Love Tech, I mean, was that what, was it a dance party in your mind? Because like for me, it was like this weird mix between a gallery and like, it wasn't like a gallery, like you go in and observe, but it was like this immersive gallery for new media arts with a DJ or some kind of music happening also. Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny how like you can, I think, a, I think there's so many ways to perceive um, like what that is. And Gray Area Arts Foundation is kind of the same way. It's like they have music events, but it's also like, you know, there's there's, uh, there's more to them, you know? And so yeah. is it like a music, is it like a concert? It's like, no, it's not really a concert. It's not really a dance party in the, if you're considering like your local nightclub, like a dance party, you know, it's like a different thing. You just don't have a word for it. You it's know true. I mean? And, yeah. you know, in the marketing, we <clears throat> would often, uh, write the ads and the make the flyers that look similar to other dance parties that were at clubs you gotta fit the you you know you gotta like fit the you gotta give something you can't be completely alien to people or they won't know what box exactly to put it in. yeah so, so there's like some sneakiness in a way and that um i wanted to show people new things especially ones that hadn't been in the environment before so the, a fair amount of um the people that came through, they'd been to some dance party, but they've never seen a perf person perform like they did on the stage at Love Tech. So they could see that. They could hear about how a person, for example, custom designed a MIDI controller that triggers lights on a suit that's triggered with uh, that that triggers videos on the stage, and like you know, hear about the artist process of designing that multimedia playback and performance system. And then they can go step into the digital jam lounge, which is the interactive arts space and play with the same instrument like a lot of the artists after they got off the stage they're like here's my instrument come try this thing yeah and so they can like get inspired and then immediately take that moment of inspiration and funnel it into an opportunity to like get hands-on practice and make new connections yeah that's a really important goal was that a was that a monthly it wasn't right it was like oh, we were monthly for a long time yeah were you? um from yeah. 2009 all the way through uh 2014 um That's and then went to less uh frequent after that year yeah. um but yeah there it's consistently been i mean this year we've done a few online uh performances from members of the community but um yeah the last few years it's been one big event and typically burning that appearance and then lots of smaller bookings that um we've integrated more into the scene in terms of uh you can hire love tech to bring uh, a stage and line of musicians you can hire us to uh, book an interactive installation to run a workshop um or to just rent some of our cool equipment to, if you like some of them are hosted installations others they just run themselves and you can 
rent them for your event. So there, there's ways that for your website and it looks like almost <laughs> like a yeah, it's like it's almost like a like a like a new media like a design company almost now. The website looks like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's that's the 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 idea now is like how can we promote um, engaging interactive experiences um, in a, in a variety of new environments. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's a great way to pivot. It really is. When's the last time you, uh, you did it? You, you hosted a love tech. Well, I'd say the 10 year anniversary, which was, uh, 2019 was the last big in-person one. And then we were planning to next do, uh, the 2020 burn, but that obviously <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, there's still a variety of uh, opportunities out there to collaborate and, and meet the other artists involved. Also, um, one of our close uh, art ally communities called Kodame, um, there's a lot of crossover in the artists there. And what is Kodame? Like, I know that name. I know people who are part of it, but I don't, it's like, I don't know how to concept it. Like, what is it? Yeah, there's a lot of similarity to everything that Love Tech is, actually. And they formed um, very soon after us. And they have um, regular events, like their festival will be a multi-day event. That's what I know them for. This is a festival. Yes, it's but not, program. you know, like big music outdoor festival. It's more like in a, they've found a variety of, of cool spaces and a variety of um, existing buildings uh like tech companies and yeah, yeah so and it's all new media stuff it, um i'd say a uh, higher percentage of um digital forms of art uh to music and love text a bit more higher percentage of music to the interactive arts so that's another word festival right festival is such yeah. a, like a ridiculous word. there's so many different like styles of festival when I was over in Europe, it was like I was going to these festivals, these like new media arts festivals. And it's like they are so different than a festival on the West Coast, like a music festival or any of the festivals that happen in the United States. It's like there should be another word. <laughs> there needs to be like a different word for what that is because it's a whole different thing. You know what I mean? It's true. Um... I love, I love european style like light art festivals you, you ever been to like a like a light festival in europe i have <laughs> seen videos of amazing projection mapping and cool leds i haven't been to one in person um and it's definitely high on my list the last time i went to one was in berlin and it was it was so crazy man because there was this group uh white void uh christopher bowder's group oh, yeah and, i see yeah. the videos right so they they throw these performances in these these like big you know like berlin german warehouse venues right but they would bring out like hundreds of people who would just sit there and watch these installations like people watch a band do you know mm -hmm. what i mean and i'm like this is so cool this is like a whole different paradigm and like the the like the population in europe has an appreciation for art where they will go and watch like a light art performance and they can get their lighters up during. I mean, do a lot of you have this in the United States? Totally. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been some market, um, noteworthy examples, uh, 
not you know as large scale and uh, culturally integrated as what you're describing in Europe. Um, the uh, I guess there's usually some kind of soundtrack or always music. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's not any focus on dancing, as far as I know. It's, it's all just like witness the great show. Oh, it's because right. they're, they're they're awkward, you know. It's like, <laughs> like the black beret, the black turtleneck, you know, everybody's just standing around like like stroking their beard. Totally. <laughs> well, it's I mean, high art, man. You can't dance when it's high art. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tension that we we've had a lot in Love Tech, actually, because a lot of times you're like, oh, this music's so great. And if you're not looking at the stage, you know, dancing is about connecting with the other people in the audience uh, yeah, for the yeah. most part. Um, so you might be really into what it sounds like. And then you turn around, you look at the stage, and you're like, whoa, I haven't seen anybody hold an instrument that looks like that because that instrument there's only one of. And I've never seen someone like perform in such an animated way. And like how entertaining is that? And it kind of it can interrupt your dance flow because <laughs> your eyes are so engaged. Um, so finding that balance is the key. Like I have always aimed for um creating a more rich environment that can the more senses you activate the better and i i guess i thrive in the density of experiences like that's a great concept man like (laughs) activating as many senses as possible Mm. you know like why do we it's like the paradigm is so much focused on the aureal or is that the word or oral the the sonic sonic experience you know it's like and that is an amazing sense. But, you know, um, I, I guess like big shows, you know, it, like you've got the visual experience on the stage, you know, and that that is like, that has become like a huge part of the show production experience. You know, yeah. like if, if you're a band in 2020 or 2019, whenever we start festivaling and, and concerting again, you know, like show production is kind of new media art. It's just less like, experimental it's more like tried and true technologies and it's often on a timeline with like predictable outcomes well that's because the music's on a timeline yeah so like you look at tool for example like an amazing band amazing visual artist who pioneered um the art of stagecraft right and and they are uh yeah they're pushing the boundaries and and the visual part of their show is arguably just as important as the the Aureal, <laughs> can't say that word. Oral, yes. Yeah, oral, the oral part so of their experience. Their, yeah, um, but you know, I think that like involving you know touch and scent um, and emotion, like those are equally important. You know, I, I think those those do come into play in all like festival environments. Like you go to a music festival and you are like. You know, you're smelling the weed that the dude's smoking next yeah. to you, or whatever, and like, you know, you're you're sweating because you're dancing. You know, those are very tactile. You know, those are those are part of the experience. I think that's what that's part of what makes it like a live event. Yeah, but um, how curated is? I mean, people will have their substances of choice and all, and and there's random wafts, but like. In contrast, um, <laughs> that, is the, that is the scent experience. <laughs> in contrast, there's like the Edible Orchestra is one of my favorite installations. And so that, what is that? Um, it's basically a musical buffet. So it's um, a bunch of finger foods, uh, yummy hors d'oeuvres. And when you eat them, they make music. So the, the food is a musical experience. 
Um, in this case, it triggers based on when you touch the food. So there's a lot of capacitive sensing technology in the food. And yeah, so um, like that's actually music that's written to represent the food. And then you have obviously the taste and uh, the smell and the touch. <laughs> that's very cool. Smell that, like, taste of the food. Where, where was that? Um, well, it, it's actually a catering service that people have booked before. And I've done it for special occasions, uh, a wedding before and like... Um, Really? A couple different art events. We we've had it at a few different love tech, uh, like proper love tech parties as well. Um, but it's an example of like, okay, we can actually curate the taste, the smell, the texture to the sound. Yeah. Um, having uh, the environment of the buffet table is like the other participants and you coming together around a table. It versus the entire focus of the audience on the temple of the stage right so like there's so much focus right. on let's make this one monolith of visual uh like activation um you know man, when i was touring that that was a part that always kind of annoyed me it, it's like not only is it a monolith it's a monolith built out of like truss which is very predictable shapes yep. you know what i mean and like one of the things that struck me about the West Coast festival scene when I discovered that. I'm like, oh, people are making stages out of like fucking bamboo and like what, you know, it was completely unique and novel and like not based on these like these Lego block shapes. Yeah. It was cool to like get away from that paradigm of like, okay, yeah, like the, the monolith of the stage. Like you put that, you know, this, and, it's and then, like after a while, it was like, what else can you do? With those yeah, shapes? you've got your limit based on the medium and the same tinker toys, the same shapes. And then, like you're saying, the new innovation when you use totally different construction technologies and more organic shapes. But then it's still the audience focused on a singular point. One of the cool things that, um, that I worked on with Anti-Clockwise was interactive dance floors, one of which is at, in front of San Francisco's, uh, San Francisco City Hall currently. Um, but it's the idea of making the floor you're standing on interactive and this has been done in a variety of ways, but to bring it to the party experience and bring the focus to the space between the participants rather than everyone focusing on the stage. Like, how do we activate the entire environment and make that a cohesive and engaging space that has the same wonder and is distributed all around you rather than at that one point? And it can be a medium for a conversation too, right? So, like, you're probably not going to talk with the band uh, even though you may really want to, but there's a good chance you can talk with all the random other people that you get to meet in the audience. So how do we find ways to create interactive mediums between them and spark those conversations? Polygrams, dude. <laughs> live in the future, where are goddamn polygrams? <laughs> can you imagine that as an artistic medium? Can you imagine that? It's like yeah. true holograms. <laughs> Versus the like two-pack one and like the... No, I mean like, you know, like <laughs> actual three-dimensional holography, being able to project that into a space like between people in an environment. Yeah. Take like DJing and visual arts to a whole, whole different level. The latest ones that I've seen will basically cut your fingers in, if you reach into them because they're spinning LEDs. Right? <laughs> I've seen those. <laughs> the fan ones. Yeah, fun. it's kind of gimmicky. Like, I mean, it's cool. It, I've seen cool things done with it, but it it feels a little gimmicky, and it's like totally. 
Yeah, it's like one of those things you see at CES and you're just like, whoa, crazy. And you're like trying to figure out a practical application. You're like, I don't know where I would use that in an actual, like, yeah, I don't know where we would use that in an installation. I haven't been able to figure out a use for that. But uh, the tropics it, where it's really hot and you need a fan. And also <laughs> <on> display. <laughs> so perfect, man. We just got to go. We got to go to the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. Down there, we use the shit out of that. Well, that's what I'm saying. When, when COVID's done, like, I hope that somebody, you know, like Burning Man was cool. 15 years ago like what is next do you know what i mean like what is the next thing yeah i well i mean what we've seen over this last year is um one way of coping by accelerating all of our uh connecting social technologies um and a lot of that involves ar you know all the cool snap cam filters um and ways that we can like uh augment our bodies in social context. Well, I like how there's a vir like virtually we've become so comfortable like doing this. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. actually kind of convenient. You know, it's like, all right, well, I don't have to leave my couch. <laughs> it's very <laughs> I mean, convenient. It's not really like socially, it's not really the same thing, but it does make, like for me, I've been socializing more, like arguably more virtually than I would not, you know, like in real life. Because it's so the bar to like, turn on zoom is so low yeah yeah and it it's a fun excuse to reconnect with someone you haven't talked to in a while right exactly and that's um, that's cool i actually was doing that earlier you know uh zebler you know zebler absolutely uh, yeah we yeah, worked together um for this installation in boston um remember the one we did we brought the hearts to boston i, I can't remember if i looped you in on that but i want you to tell me about that actually because i was looking on your uh I was looking on some profile of yours and I saw that and I was like, did you do that before? But you didn't, you did that while you were in San Francisco, but you did it in Boston. You did that with George. How the hell do you say his last name? Zisiatus. It's like, it's a Greek, <laughs> Greek name. Yeah. George is great. Um, he is great, man. He has a very hard to pronounce last name. Like, <laughs> if you're reading it, like I don't think I've ever pronounced his last name correctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Since he is, no, I mean that's how it, that's phonetically how it looks. So, <laughs> but he he's, a, a, he's an interesting character, man. Talk about yeah. a hustler. Like he is doing, he he's, uh, you know, uh, Ben uh, Ben who who does illuminate the arts. Yeah, yeah. So he him and Ben. That's how I met Ben was through George. Totally. And Ben. Um, Ben did the Baylight. He raised the funds for the Baylights. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. And yeah, um, yeah Leo Villarreal um, working with that guy. And uh, and then George working with Ben to get funding for the, the light rail. Um, that which is, I think it, I don't know. I think it's paused. Um, I think it's paused too. We, we were talking about that. I think they were talking to everybody about that. It was a cool idea. It really was. Yeah. Um, but what's my point? Uh, yeah, he definitely knows how to connect and hustle the people. He's the reason that we were able to get, um, the interactive, uh, projections in front of city hall. Uh, and yeah, so there's, there's all these other great mediums besides clubs and fest, like traditional festivals and traditional well, hearts. You were, you were about to tell me about the hearts in Boston and I totally cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah. Which, like, so I was going to say, um, the other venues that I'm thinking of are public parks, which is the hearts and yeah. the museums as well, of course. 
Yeah. Uh, but public parks, so like we added uh, five of these hearts to different public parks throughout Boston. Basically, you walk up to what looks like a big uh, cartoony red heart that has these uh, uh, silver handles on it, and you hold on to the handles. It's about the size of a parking meter. And you hear like a little meditation chime and it starts pulsing. You hear the actual beat of your heart. Yeah, it's, cool. it's a recorded heartbeat, but it's, it's in sync with your heart. Which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's reading your pulse and it turns your heartbeat into a piece of music that stays in sync with your pulse. And that's so, super cool. I've never I haven't seen those in person, man. Yeah. So Zebler was on the team to uh, help us maintain those in, in Boston. Yeah. Get through this. There's another one, man. I was, I was really, it was nice to talk to him today. And I was just like, man, I got to, I catch up with my East Coast friends. It's been so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's still rocking, rocking it at the Glitch Loft. Excellent. So many good memories in that place. <laughs> well, it's just amazing to me that that is like, dude, you know, when I left Boston, like it was the Glitch, the Glitch, Glitch was a crew. Mm-hmm. Um, before it was a loft. And you know Toshi Hu? Mm-hmm. So me, Toshi Hu, Jeff Matson, right? Um, and and Zebler, we 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 formed the Glitch crew and it was like super OG VJ crew, right? It was like VHS cassettes and like V4 mixers yeah. and feedback loops, like analog feedback loops. And then I can't remember. And then Sean Stevens was involved. Yeah. And like, and then at some point he like became part of the mix. And then I, I don't know when the Sherman, like Sherman street started after I had left Boston, but it's just, it's crazy to see how like those seed concepts and you know what I mean? Like it just like evolved and it's still going. It's like the glitch loft is still a thing. And it's like, it's such an institution in Boston. That's you know so I mean? cool. I'm, I'm with, so with Peter as like he, Peter is like the anchor. Yeah, you know I, mean? I feel like every like this this whole scene that's just like orbiting that guy, and it's it's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to do an episode with him too. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much he's expanded uh, beyond all the amazing concert activations. So that, that's one like similar to what you're doing with Tool and all that. Like, well, he's doing he's doing um, he's teaching for Berkeley College of Music now. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, we were talking about that today because it's like, well, what are you doing? You know, because he, he he was like, he what he he had a touring act. He toured Wish Bongle, so he was doing like the show production, and he was also like, he had his own act, uh, Zebler and Canty. Oh yeah, and their yeah. music is great, and I love their shows. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but in Canty, um, Zebler's uh, other half in that duo moved to Scotland and is teaching. He's like a professor in some university in Scotland now. I'm sure he's teaching like Ableton music production. He does a lot of that. I'm sure awesome. he is. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's so, it's so cool that you are also part of that, like, that crew. Yeah. It, like, yeah. we at Circle, do you remember that event? I do. Like, that was where I first met Toshi and a bunch of people, and then the Glitch Loft and yeah. Red Tail and all these people that I've intersected with for so long. And yeah, like you're saying, following a similar path into finding great ways of being able to stay artists, really. <laughs> I mean, how do we do that and keep it, uh, you know, a career that, that works and is sustainable? 
and inspiring. Like, how do we continue to inspire each other through this? Yeah, it's it's cool to be like like have matured in that because I feel like there's so many people around me who've gone through. You know, we've all taken different paths. You know what I mean? But it's all this this drive to like it's like okay, how do I exist while making art essentially? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And everybody took a different path, but it's like we're all like you know everybody's like hustling and they're doing it. And like, I was talking to Toshi uh, the other day, actually. And um, he was, he was my first, when I was young, man, like before I, like, I knew I was really into visual arts, but I didn't, I had no idea. And I, I saw, I went to a rave, like when I was like pre 2000 and I like saw a VJ. It was like, holy shit. Like, the, the, the video is dancing to the music. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But I had no idea what it was or like what to call it. And then when I moved to Boston, I, I found, um, what the hell was that website? VJ forums, I think. And I met Toshi on VJ forums found uh-huh. that like the, the even older generation of VJs, right? Like the first generation of VJs in Boston. And and that was like Toshi and uh, some other people. And he was the first VJ I had ever met in my life. And I was just like, dude, how does this work? Teach mm-hmm. me how to thank you. <laughs> Teach me how to do this. Nice. And, uh, yeah, man, he's been my friend for like so fucking long like 20 years, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. And it's like, we've all evolved, you know, we've all like had like a couple careers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's down at Palo Alto, actually him and, um, and his partner who used to live here at the Lumen labs back when it was flow space. Oh yeah. So that did they meet at your state? Cause that, that's cool. Um, yeah. Liza and, um, and, I got to visit their place and work with them too at the uh, Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. So I've never been the to that place. Yeah, that it's. I'm really fascinated though. It's such a cool name, Institute for the Future. Like yeah. that could be anything. Like <laughs> they're just like, oh, anything that's interesting. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool, neat. Man. Like Toshi started the um, Emerging Media Lab there, um, and so I got to work on. Uh, several event activations with them playing with AR and VR. Um, and yeah, I think, um, like you're saying earlier about holograms and ways that we can find the most compelling uses of technology to, to connect each other and, and keep these, uh, relationships going, you know, like, um, it's exciting. I, th- I think there's a lot of ripe opportunities, um, now that the whole world has been reset right like and yeah i I don't think people are going to jump back together so quickly no it's going to be a slow thing but like i bet you in like there will be a point in time where you're just where where we're all like oh wow like everybody's partying again you know that that will happen at some point oh yeah we'll all have that realization be like oh wow you know parties are happening (laughs) yeah um but i i'm hoping like um there's something about not having the. I, I, I I'm I'm thinking about the ways that, as individuals with more confined quarantine type space, most of the people that I know that have been making the most of it have gone into more educational 
uh, internal spaces and like essentially walked away knowing themselves better. Like how do, yeah. how do we find the solitary time to refine what we're doing in this world and how we want to hone that. And, um, well, that's a healthy way to approach it. You know, yeah. it really is. And like you, we've all seen, you know, that it's almost like there's two directions that you can go in like, cause it's such an intense experience being isolated like this. It's like, you can, you can go downhill or, or you can figure out how to go uphill. And like, it's, it's cool. Like a lot of the people that I've been around have like found some pivot or flipped their career and some, you know what I mean? Like they've made the most of it, but then you, you definitely, there's people who have like kind of just fallen into like a real funk um, and not done that or, or not figured out a way to like, stabilize or equalize and like adapt to the new to like what's happening now and that that's sad you know um, yeah but everybody's changed like everybody mm -hmm. you know? and i i agree with you 100 percent. it's like going inward focusing on yourself learning and figuring out how to like become how to productively use all this time like you could just sit and cry <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> or you could be like, all right, well, I'm going to like do those tutorials that I've been putting off for like five years. <laughs> yeah. So much education in this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that, that is, that is cool. It's like, I almost like, I was kind of getting bored, man. Like before COVID I was thinking about trying to like sell or flip digital ambience. I'm like not, be so involved with it. It's hard when you've been doing something like love tech, I'm sure, you know, for, for 10 years and you're like, okay, I love this. I can't put it down because it's almost like a part of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. But I want something new <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. COVID has been like a great opportunity to be like, okay, new stuff, you know? And that, that's been cool. For me, I feel pretty grateful that, I've been able to continue my museum collaborations because I've been working with Meow Wolf on my next project. So that's been going in the background. Um, but I've also been able to contribute to this whole COVID cause by working for a COVID testing company. Yeah. To people get access to tests, which has felt good. Like, you know, it's, it's not my typical role, um, but I always get motivated when I can really help people's lives get better <laughs> 100%, this is definitely an all hands on deck situation and i think it's um i think it's admirable when when people can like seeing people who like take their skills and and put it towards towards the cause my, my co-founder actually he uh he joined this group called helpful engineering and they were like he was using his industrial design skills to mass produce ppe you know and he, he works for one hat, one hand. He's a, he's oh, a, great. Like a, you know, he's like a sculptural artist, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> Definitely. So tell me about Meow Wolf, man. Like what's the, what's the deal with Meow Wolf? Like, I'm sure that, you know, you're under NDA and all that, but like what, whatever you can talk about, like, I'm really curious because yeah, Meow Wolf is a fascinating organization and I'm yeah. wondering how they're handling it and like what they're, how they're pivoting, you know? Well, all the work I've done with them on site has been really safe, fortunately. They have a really large warehouse um, and the Area 15 site. So Vegas. As well. The Vegas site. 
Yes. So that, that's the one that I'm working on. Yeah, they have, you know, their original House of Eternal Return um, in Santa Fe. Yeah. Which you have, I think you told me you were there. You, you I there. actually have not been. I oh, haven't been. Okay. I, no, I've never been to, to their Santa Fe installation. I know a bunch of people who work or worked there, but I've never been. I don't want to give for people like yourself that don't want spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, I mean it's it's a fantastical environment, and um, they've managed to mix the culture of several artist friends at Burning Man with a really uh, wonderfully imaginative um, and quirky and uplifting and silly and playful twist uh, on like reality bending uh immersive experience and you know it's it's absolutely thrilling to to go into their environments and and now there's five more right so there's vegas um there's one in denver two in denver actually one is part of like a amusement park roller coaster experience oh so they did have they opened that in denver i heard that they were doing something down there but i didn't know if it had like yeah it was like an in-production kind of thing yeah, so the the roller coaster thing is done. the The space uh, in Denver is going to be opening uh, after the Vegas one. So it's it's like Santa Fe, that roller coaster, Vegas, then Denver, and then I don't know the order of the remaining two, which are Phoenix and DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that you know they're uh, like the popularity and and a realization that um, we want something a little different than Disney for entertainment. We want something that like has compelling, more uh, playful and unique environment that people can um, have. Well, see, like... that's, that's an example of a paradigm shift. That's what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. the, the Burning Man was a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, um, Meow Wolf, like they were successful in creating a, par- a paradigm shift, you know, where it was like, okay, we're going to have these, these environments, but like, we're going to take like a very immersive element, right. And, and make it almost like, like a performance slash, like, like a, a museum almost slash they, they took all these elements and combined it into something completely new. Yeah. And that changed the, the paradigm, right. All of a sudden, like everybody was like, Oh shit. Like that's the next thing. I hope that happens with events after and like partying and socializing like it happened for Burning, in with Burning Man. I hope it happens again after COVID because absolutely yeah, it was getting stale, you know. And I'm like, hey, what's next? <laughs> yeah, and and that's like the, the elements there. So um, part of it is the environment itself. How fantastical and unique and transported do you feel when you're in that environment? Creating that suspension of disbelief that lets you enter the space and really feel immersed by it in a convincing. Uh, way and that's a multi-sensory uh, tie-in like I was saying before of activating many of them and doing it consistently with a theme and then there's the performative elements like the human actors that tie the storyline together and yeah. obviously like Sleep No More was a great example of doing that and stepping into the story Sleep No More is the, the one in New York where it's like it is a, a fully immersive like theatrical play right? yeah basically the, the, pre- the play is spread out over multiple uh, stories of a building and you walk up and walk in between the actors and on occasion get picked out from the actors to have a one-on-one experience but that's still like 
a predefined story that is in progress. When it gets really interesting is you have the elements of human actors, storyline, convincing environment, um, and you take interactive elements and uh, agency of outcome and throw those into the mix. Then you're creating a real interactive environment where yeah. um, sure the actors are there and the actors have like a general role, but they get a chance to improvise and like take you on a new uh, spontaneous adventure. You have ways of interacting with the art in ways that are less on rails, similar to the concert um, analogy of like, how do we make an environment that you can really improvise with and have, um, you know, really unique and, uh, and engaging outcomes and feel connected to the rest of the people throughout the experience. And then you can come repeating that, like, it's almost like designing a really great video game. You know, it's, it's an environment that's playful. It has multiple endings and you want to keep coming back and experiencing it. And it's like the sandbox paradigm, right? Like, a, like yeah. the sandbox world in, in video gaming. Oh yeah. 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 We, that's, I, I don't know if you're referencing what we did with anti-clockwise of having that interactive projection map sandbox. Um, so, you know, you, it, it oh, what's that? Um, I, I think the very first time I think it was done at MIT, maybe 2011. And then we, did a version of it in 2012, um, but it's literally a sandbox and it uses uh, depth sensors to oh, map, yeah. like, you know. I, so I didn't know that you guys did that, or you did one of those? Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, one of our fun installations that toured around a bit. Um, but the um, it, it's the sandbox idea of, like, you get to sculpt the environment into many different forms. But within the framework of a nicely defined storyline and aesthetic, the pieces that bring it together and make it match and make it feel fully immersive, utilize all the senses, like how well those are done, I think defines how much of a success that experience is in, in this new paradigm. Yeah. It's like, it's not just a show anymore. You are the show. Yeah. It's the experience. That concept, I think, was really taking hold and coming to maturity before COVID hit, like, you know, in, in our community with yeah. the, the Take Three crew, absolutely, um, yeah. really pushed it and like made something amazing out of it. And then, uh, you know, things like Meow Wolf, which are kind of sort of in the same vein, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and Sleep No More, like the idea of like full immersion, it, it's a really cool concept. And uh, yeah, I think that hopefully that just gets even crazier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Using technology, using the novel ways of, of gathering. Um, yeah. Yeah, thinking about the ways to make it work in a museum context and make it repeatable and predictable, but still give novel. you a full range of yeah novel outcomes. Yeah, it's yeah. Really wonderfully fascinating stuff that I'm passionate about. Yeah. We, yeah. we did that for One Dome as well. I was the uh, technical art director there for, um, for part of that experience. And... I want to ask you more about one dome because that's another like really fascinating part of the Bay Area in the last couple of years. Yeah, one dome. I mean, it was inspired by Meow Wolf largely because uh, once Meow Wolf became a huge success, there were a few other places that were like, "Let's do something like this." And um, and one dome had started on a different vision. They had like uh, actual domes at festivals and some greater environmental sustainability messages and. 
Um, so there was that thread separately, and then uh, well, let's let's keep going with with Meow Wolf. I'm curious to like, what can you say about what what you're what you were doing with, with yeah. Meow Wolf? Still uh, in the middle is the experience actually of yeah we're well actually, um, it's actually going to premiere in next month, which is with that just was announced today like that brand new news. So, um, wait, like in Vegas? So is it open? It will be open next month. It turns out. Interesting. Which you can only get away with in Vegas, I think. Oh, <laughs> All the casinos are open. <laughs> It's a it's a bold assumption with uh, the way the virus is going right now, mm-hmm. but that's that's exciting. That's cool. Are you going to be there? It must be right. Yeah. Well, um, I am definitely going there next week to work on the next batch of uh, content for my piece. Nice. Which, um, yeah. So I'm one of the uh, collaborating artists, and um, my installation is generally secret but i'll tell you basic things about it which are that it's in line with some other work that i've done on multiplayer music instruments um moldover coined the term jam boxes for those um before it was a popular speaker brand <laughs> i was and, just gonna say like he didn't coin that term did he? well he started he popularizing he <laughs> i know right you could be a millionaire <laughs> Like, actually, that's my word. <laughs> I know <laughs> all these terms, um, but the uh, the idea is, it's a new type of music instrument that has multiple players, and it generally has some unique kind of interface. I mean, it's common to use keyboard keys, knobs, faders, a variety of surfaces that people are already familiar with. Yeah, um, but instead of just being three separate electronic music instruments, there's a lot of technology to synchronize it and make it easier to sound amazing so that you and a stranger can have a spontaneous jam band experience, basically. <laughs> so That's cool, man. What a cool, what a cool installation. So are you working with Moldover or? Well, we both are doing work there on two different installations that both fall in the category of jam box. Cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So who's on your team? Are you working with anybody on that, or is it just you by yourself? Well, I am working with very helpful collaborators. Um, okay, but so, you're you're the, you're the, you're ideating. It's your concept. Your it's your piece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it is based on some of the awesome work that um, another awesome. Uh, well, the whole world of oscilloscope music is very very cool. And uh, Dude, my friend was telling me about that. My friend was telling me about oscilloscope music the other day. I was uh, hanging out with my friend Dallas and he was like, "Dude, you got to check out this band." They, they like, what is it they like make music that looks amazing. Like, amazing it's, it's, it's the art of cool. designing sounds that look amazing. That's so <laughs> cool. So basically, um it's a perfect example of the synesthetic aesthetic that I've popularized and like integrate into my art. And That's cool. So in this case, uh, the basic format for making amazing uh, vector graphics is you have a left channel and a right channel of audio in your stereo signal, and they're fed into an oscilloscope, and the left channel moves the beam left and right, the right channel moves it up and down, just like an Etch-a-Sketch. Right, right. 
But how do you how do you with an oscilloscope and a waveform? Yeah, it would be cool to see it. It's hard so for it's me to visualize how you would create complex vector graphics with a waveform alone on an analog oscilloscope. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. Then, like, what the fuck would it sound like? Does what looks good sound like garbage, or does do you know what I mean? Like, it, it is a struggle. I'll say, yeah. like the art of like making something that looks good sound better, and making things that sound good look better. <laughs> You're definitely right. going back and forth a lot in designing this music. Um, so who are some of the artists who are like doing that? Well, I mean, it was first done back in probably the fifties, sixties for people that were discovering some basic Lissajou figure, uh, figures and drawing those in a telescope. But, um, what'd you like, call them? Lissajou uh, or Lissajous, L-I-S-S-A-J-O-U-S. It's basically any oscillating waveform can be represented graphically. Okay. And the spirographs are probably the most popular kid's toy that draws Lissajou figures. Spirographs, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's great because it represents like natural motion and it's a way of visualizing wave harmonics and seeing relationships between repeating patterns. So it's, um, you can use this installation. Uh, well, you, you can see that there's the oscillation station uh, among the LoveTech catalog. Mm-hmm. And you know you can slow down the beam and see it drawing it um, to really get a sense of how it works. But um, essentially, uh, it was repopularized and like a new renaissance kicked off with the work of uh, Jeremy and Fenderson and Hansi Raber. Um, they uh, released an album called Oscilloscope Music, and it's really fundamental work of art. It's like when was it? Uh, 2018. So it's like okay. So recently, I think that's who my friend was was showing me. My yeah, friend was showing me that that uh that work. It was on YouTube. You you like just was showing me uh tracks on YouTube. Oh, totally. They're like drawing mushrooms and stuff. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So um, the thing that made it stand out from the older Elizabeth style stuff was getting 3D forms inside of the scope. Right. So, like so bonkers that's so crazy so like yeah. I mean, in the end i mean that is all an oscilloscope is it's a drawing device. of course you could it, it draws using waveforms sound is a waveform you could sculpt a sound to look however you want the exactly. ability to make music with that yeah i mean that's a that's fucking cool <laughs> that's a <laughs> and, really cool art form yeah it's it, like beautiful math and it's, it's really um it's got multiple layers of giddiness because like one is yeah like i just made the sound of a tyrannosaurus rex there it is that's what it sounds like <laughs> it looks like that and it sounds like this and, um, it sounds very buzzy by the way <laughs> um, but then uh actually slowing it down and seeing the relationships between sound and form um and that's that's a little bit more easily represented using basic sine waves um but you get to learn a lot about the relationship between fundamental frequencies and uh, yeah. when patterns start repeating. And it, there's some similar crossover there with um, the whole uh, field of the, you know, vibrating matter and cymatics. You see like natural. Cymatics is beautiful. That, yeah. I love that, man. I, I love cymatics. Cymatics is the, for people who haven't seen this, it's the, it's vibrating sand. Uh, at various frequencies on a metal plate 
and the sand forms very intricate geometric patterns depending on the waveform. Yeah. So similar educational properties and like just moments to fascinate <laughs> moments to take in the natural world and um, inspire fascination and moments of wonder. That's definitely one of the driving aesthetics behind the parts, uh, the kind of art that I create. That's cool. So is that, is that what, is that, does that take, um, are you using that in, uh, in your installation at Meow Wolf? That, yeah. So there's definitely a Soulscope music technology inside That's of this cool. thing. <laughs> so how do we see it? Do we have to go, or I guess we have to go there. Right? Yeah. I can't right. show any images, um, of it, Can but they're going to be releasing marketing. You better, you better give me a discount. I'm sure I could arrange something like that. Cool. Yeah, man, that's that I've never been to any of the Meowulf installations, but I know the story really well, you know, and I know so many of the people involved. And it's like, yeah, I just I, I need to go. Yeah. Well, one thing that's cool about the story, and it, more focused in this Vegas version, even more so than the last one, is the idea of art as um commentary and criticism of culture so um this meow wolf exhibit they've already released some marketing material so i mean it it's called omega mart it's it's a grocery store oh. <laughs> it's in vegas it's it's focused on the right. commercialism of yeah, yeah, yeah. i read about this. I read about this last year actually yeah the theme of like a grocery store of of art essentially right. yeah but the, you know there's great potential for what is consumerism culture like what does that do to us and and like to be able to use art as a way of sparking a conversation about philosophical issues of what humans are doing morally and uh kind of decisions that we can make bringing awareness to um what we can do to become the agents of our life and what impact that has in greater culture like i think those are some of the more powerful uses of art that's the best art has always been commentary. You know, yeah. that's why art is so dangerous. And, and it's, you know what I mean? Like it is. It's, it's like, banned politically. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, in, the, in the tradition of the jester, almost, you know, it's like you've got stand-up comedy as, as a means of, of critique. And, like, you can communicate these messages that you can't, you couldn't communicate in any other way, or which would be unacceptable in other, in other, in other, like, um, avenues you know yeah. that's the power of art and that that's that's cool it's very cool i think it's something that gets lost in new media art sometimes yeah right? where, where it's like new media art almost becomes like an act of expression for the sake of showing off new tech mm. which is kind of annoying but we've all seen this right and it's cool when you see new media art that's actually saying something yeah it's refreshing it, it is and it, and a lot of it's about like giving artists the time to learn to use their new tools you know because um I, I mean the the more experienced and like uh visionary artists for lack of a better word that will only express those ideas and it doesn't matter what tool they're using like they're probably in a better position to be able to really stay focused on that whereas with all of this new tech coming out it it can be uh, sometimes easy to get lost in it and and uh, have some more superficial type experiences, um, but yeah. that's a sign of refinement. It's like once 
you, you can use the new technology and the new medium and still create that message and that cohesive environment for telling it. And there's a lot of brilliant art out there that that when people excuse me, when people start exploring tools and they really get into the art of their tool, I feel like it's very easy to to create art that is indecipherable to everybody else. Like when you're making it, you can see beautiful patterns and like beautiful art emerge. But unless it's accessible, do you know what I mean? It it it, it can it. That's the danger of of especially like computer art. Yeah. You know, like we're generating art with with programs, like programmatic art, oftentimes becomes like, you know, the art is is like there when you're creating it. You're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm learning how this program reacts and behaves, and and there's an art to that. But unless it's accessible, it's like hard to convey it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, especially um, some art that has tried to express the experience of coding by having imagery of lines and numbers that um, might be aesthetically pleasing, but you wouldn't know the relationships to, to math and algorithms unless you're already versed in that. Anytime art needs a paragraph to describe it, <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a missed opportunity, I think. Um, well, maybe it's just tailoring your audience, right? Because I think there is, you know, I'm, there's probably beautiful examples of code that qualify as art. In fact, I'm, I'm sure of it. You know, I've seen it. Um, I am not a coder, so like there's only so much of that that's accessible to me. But to a to a gallery for for programmers, yeah. it would make a lot of sense. And I think that that's probably true of, of most art, where it's like it's like jazz, man. Jazz is like the classic example of this, where it's like jazz is as a musician's music, mm -hmm. and if you're not a jazz musician, like a lot of that brilliance is going right over your head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Forming those pathways where you can be accessible to a general audience, but have the depth uh, that bears repeatability and allows the curious to go deeper. That's always a goal of mine. And well, you got you got to pay close attention to that in uh, in venues like Meow Wolf, right? Where you've got all these new media artists who are expressing themselves. But you got to make sure that art is accessible to like little Timmy <laughs> who's going to be like running through that thing and like just like poking knobs. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, knobs are a good example. Like um, one of the things uh, that I learned in user testing, um, a lot of us that have technology experience know that you turn a knob to the right, right? <laughs> but yeah. no, half the people that have never touched one are going to turn it to the left, especially when it's a, a continuous encoder. So right. um, the, the knobs that I encoder. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Just keep turning it. <laughs> so I gave some LED feedback, um, uh, and so it works both ways. And you can just start turning to the left. And th there's some subtle uh, interaction features without giving too much away on the oscilloscope piece. Um, yeah, but it's it's all about usability. So like watching people that have never touched anything like it touch it 
and taking feedback and honing the design so that it's less about getting to the so that people can rapidly um engage in the instrument because that's really what it is it's like how do i rapidly feel connected to it and without any um you know with the least amount of confusion this is just basic ux design um but it's it's interesting because you know there's a wide range of what people perceive and are sensitive to um and a lot of the assumptions that us advanced uh technology focused people make do not apply to the general world and how UX do we... design is an art yeah absolutely yeah and i, I really appreciate it too like i for my my dad actually so um he actually has multiple sclerosis and uh has real difficulty using his voice and talking and being understood uh very shaky hands bedridden so he's not doing well from a usability perspective <laughs> and um but i ended up designing a, a platform that he could use and so like i put a lot of thought into that so you know touch screen your art uh probably yeah i mean i think a lot about how easy it is to use technology and um what it's like to perceive an interface from yeah. a very disadvantaged position yeah, so I think that, um, and plus the idea of like uh, wanting to build something to that doesn't exist. You know, like there wasn't any great speech generating device that was also had the features of social networking and uh, entertainment features, just being able to just read and watch movies, listen to music, like all these uh, technologies, which are very easily accessible on an iPad is not accessible to people that are very disabled. Right. So, um, seeing Did your dad that use a computer. Well, he wasn't very, uh, computer savvy when he was fully abled. Right. So, yeah. Um, there was already that barrier. So it, it's been a fun challenge to like make for an already foreign interface, um, much more approachable and get, that valley of connection through it and yeah yeah it's, it's interesting so who else is involved in the like who else is doing um meow wolf installations oh yeah well you're talking about other collaborate well so i mean i'm getting some amazing help from like alex Stahl has been a rock star in terms of max coding like i was max relative- yes cool so he's, he's i haven't heard really- that i haven't heard Ma- i haven't heard anybody using max msp in a minute yeah, I mean it's it's, it's still updated cool regularly. And yeah, the nodal environment for coding and well, they were the pioneers for that, as far as I know. Like, yeah, the people who were working on Max, they went on to build Ableton. It was definitely the um, like the OG uh, musicians that. tool. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought, didn't Ableton just buy Max MSP? Uh, well, I mean. Max for Live is now integrated. They have some agreement. I don't know. I know they know. merged. Yeah, it's like one thing now. But it's funny because like Jitter, right? Matt, Jitter was Max MSP's video environment. And totally. uh, like Sean Stevens, Sean Stevens has been using Max MSP for as long as I've known him. And uh, he introduced me to that platform like so long ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's like, I haven't, I haven't seen anybody use it in a very long time because I'm not in the audio world, you know, but I know that it, it did merge with, uh, with Ableton. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I think the merger you're talking about is the fact that you can have Max for live, um, and that, uh, integration into Ableton, but yeah, like Alex has done an amazing job, um, really spearheading a lot of the architecture and coding for, uh, the exhibit and so great collaborator he was at one dome as well actually he he did something really cool uh no symmetry no there's a it's a different alex that's part of symmetry um but yeah um yeah alex and um alan macy created the heartbeat amplifier they were the featured artists at one dome that was one of the cooler installations because it was um basically three chairs that you sit in and it used uh, sensors to determine this is basically ekg sensors mm-hmm. um as well as pressure sensors in the seats uh then you get your heartbeat detected similar to the pulse of the city i was talking about with hearts in boston and it's visualized as uh animations on a projected forest as well as uh lights flashing and the the transducers that let you feel the vibration of your heartbeat the subsonic transducers which are really fun technology the heart of the amplifier was around long before one one dome though. I, oh I yeah, was, yeah. It's I been remember, evolving since like 2010 or something. I was just gonna say I remember <laughs> that installation from from a long time ago. But one cool thing that I'd never seen before, they actually tuned the EKG sensors to detect people walking around the room. Interesting. How so, did that work? Or, or like, what was the uh, the practical effect of that? It gave like this jingle sound as you were moving through the environment. So as soon as you like, it changed the capacity in the room, like long distance capacitive sensing style interactions with those sensors. And it would detect that and create these beautiful jingles. And I was like, how are you doing that? It was like a very clever trick that I haven't seen done in any installation. That's yeah. cool. That's very cool. So the whole thing is capacitance, uh, capacitance sensing. Um, it behaves like capacitive sensing, but it's using, uh, EKG, um, electrocardiogram, uh, and I I should look into more about exactly how that's tuned. But um, yeah, I've I've worked with a lot of strictly capacitive sensors, like the Edible Orchestra I was mentioning, like that's using capacitive tech. And um, those can be tuned to detect proximity and make things into theremins, which is very fun. Um, so it was like that, but it was at a large scale. The theremins. <laughs> yeah, it's the second musical instrument, electronic musical instrument ever invented. It's like amazing. Yeah. Um, you you watch those like old like nineteen. Well, I've only seen one, <laughs> but like that was the that was the instrument in like classic horror movies. Totally, <laughs> the theremin. Everything from like sci-fi and horror movies to Beach Boys, Good Vibration. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it's really cool what we can do with distance and capacitance. So, like, that's a COVID-safe technology. It's something that detects. <laughs> they should, you know, somebody should advertise that capacitance sensing, the COVID-safe option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even better is like lidar and um, infrared rangefinders and variety of other things. About- Earlier, earlier uh, this week, how lidar is uh, like those those uh, one dimensional lidar 
sensors, you know, it's just like a point. It just measures proximity. They're so accurate. They're expensive, mm -hmm. but they're like so much better than active IR uh, just because of how much more accurate and stable they are. Yeah. Much for uh, we were trying to gauge the the distance of a of a BART train as it entered a station, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So like we were, we were playing around with different sensors, and it was just like, oh yeah, lidar, duh. <laughs> it's, it's very accurate, always stable. <laughs> yeah, and um, there's a format uh, solid state lidar, so it doesn't have to have the spinning sensor anymore it has well, like one dimensional is essentially a laser yeah but um so it, i mean first it was like single dimensional and then they started spinning that sensor so you get a 3d picture but the um solid state technology allows like a wider capture area um more variability so it, yeah. and it's a lot more compact and cheap too so yeah. it, there's a newer renaissance in lighter these days um it's actually this is on the edges of my knowledge level i've only more recently gotten into LiDAR, but... Um, yeah, I was going to say, I haven't, I haven't heard of that, but like, it's funny because LiDAR is, a, is an amazing, amazing technology. We've been doing a lot with uh, uh, photogrammetry, um, yeah. using photogrammetry and, and, and just like massive numbers of digital photos to create 3D, 3D models uh, of environments, which will then like, you know, run LEDs through and do like volumetric stuff. Um, and we were trying to do this to a tree. And uh, I was talking to this expert in, um, in essentially capturing real environments in 3D. And she's like, yeah, you know, like LiDAR is cool, but like photogrammetry is actually more accurate. And it's, uh, it, it just depends on what you're trying to capture. You hmm. know what I mean? So like just having a million tiny leaves moving everywhere is tricky for the LiDAR. Is that part of the thing? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it depends on the environment. It depends on like what you're trying to what you're trying to capture. You know what I mean? Um, I always think of like that scene in Alien, right? The, like the Alien Covenant or whatever, where they like they they send a little ball orb into the tunnel, and it's just mm -hmm. like it just like scans the whole thing. Yeah. It's like, Can we live in that future, please? <laughs> That'd be you so know, convenient. <laughs> that's not far. At all? No, it's not. Well, I mean, maybe a hovering ball. That that's further than the lidar part. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you do it with a drone. I mean, that would work. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. There's already like drone taxis in Dubai. Have you heard about that? No. Like, we're looking for people. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like a drone bus for ants. Yeah. No, that's crazy, man. I mean, I don't know if I. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, like everybody else is doing it. If it was proven safe, I would do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would be like the first guy. In exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Dubai, man, that's a crazy place. We've almost had a couple of projects in Dubai, and we, we've never actually done a project in Dubai. But every time it comes up, every time we start to engage in that, like we work with, you know, Almost half of our team is women, and it's like, yeah. Oh, I know. It's like, like Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like I worked with Toshi, um, and uh, for the Institute for the Future for a Saudi Arabia based exhibit. Right. And it's like, you can't have women. Like, there's a whole like it's a very regressive environment. 
in terms of women. And there's, there's a lot of problematic things that are happening in that area. And it's just like, yeah, well then, then ethics come into it. And you're like, well, what, what are we going to, you know, you have to consider the ethics of like, yeah, the environment, the people that you're working for, um, yeah. the way that you have to work in order to work in that environment. And it's, it gets tricky. It really does. Yeah. If McDonald's wanted to pay me to do some installation, like I, I just can't support <laughs> the practices of, yeah. you know, like there, there's always that consideration of who your collaborators are. Um, right. And uh, McDonald's turning America into fat fucks. <laughs> Actually the world really. I mean, to, we were in uh McDonald's is everywhere. Point being, you cannot go anywhere without finding a McDonald's. It is absolutely ubiquitous. Right. And I, I'm personally vegan as well, and like it's uh, a lot of moral concerns with that particular uh, establishment. But but the idea is, yeah, like work with the people that you want to support. Absolutely. The cultures that you want to elevate. Absolutely, man. And it's, it's, it's tricky because like, there are a lot of assholes with a lot of money, <laughs> you know, and at a certain yeah. point, like you got you, you do have to make that call. You're like, okay, well, run all that money from the bad place <laughs> to the good place. <laughs> something really good with the profits. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, but this, this is the thing. Man. It's funny. So you're a vegan. Yes. That's cool. So my, my partner is, uh, is vegan. And I actually, I just, I just finished uh, doing a, a, a trip to see my my family, my my partner's family. And during that trip, um, like I eat meat, I do. Um, I'm conscious about the meat that I eat. But uh, on this trip, I was I was vegan, right? And like the quality of vegan meat substitutes is 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 crazy like the technology that is fake meat <laughs> so far it's like you don't need meat you really don't like i could substitute all of my meat for like impossible and uh beyond beyond and it's like you get the texture you get the taste it's like you don't need meat and even milk dude you ever had ripple ripple yeah it's a pea pro it's like a pea protein milk yeah. It looks like milk. It tastes like it. Look, when you put it in your tea or your coffee, it like does the swirl. <laughs> Science has achieved. <laughs> yeah. You don't need me. You don't, you know. And then cloning, man. When they start cloning that shit, you know, it's just mm -hmm. a game changer. It's like, definitely yeah, I personally would definitely eat. I would eat grown, grown meat. Personally. Yeah, when it's confined to a lab, it's a bit different, less of an environmental impact than our current methane producing cow populations and all that. Um, but yeah, um, working with people that are driving forward the world yep. is really key. So when you're done with this installation at Meowl, if you think you'll be done with Meowl, are you going to continue? Uh, um, like that? Yeah, I mean, once this wraps up, I definitely like the idea of continuing those collaborations. So um, I'll keep those talks going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you found it to be um, political? 
that that's one criticism that I've heard from from other people is that it can get political or it's like a it's kind of like a cool kids club. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to put it, but you know what I mean. There's like a lot of social politics mm. involved. I but, mean. I see that same type of thing in festival worlds. Right. You know, like, right. I mean, it was an art curator at Lightning in a Bottle that was one of the main connections to get connected, you know, to work with Meow Wolf. And they had an open application process and all. Fortunately, I haven't um, seen much of the politics that you're hinting at. Um, I know there's a lot of business decisions that have been made that are multifaceted and, you know, uh, they're experiencing rapid growth, so having lots of rapid changes in personnel and things. Sure. Yeah. Um, the uh, kind of culture, though, of Cool Kids Club does bother me, and that's actually something that Love Tech was also founded to be counter to, because you do see this bit of like hippie elitism and like right. things that are really looking for ways for people to stand out and define this is the cool crowd, this is the only people I want to spend my time with love tech like in contrast um always wanted to create an open and supportive environment so that anybody can feel uh, accepted and have a chance to engage and so it's the opposite of a more exclusionary culture which i think is important for in imparting cultural uh change i think it's really hard to um humans are tribal right and and the cool kid vibe, right? That what we're describing, the 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 phenomena in in festival culture or in, or in any culture, where it's like you, the instinct to create an in crowd and an out crowd is like hardwired. It's like part of our firmware. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's I think you know like the chimpanzee versus bonobo thing. I think a lot of the scarcity. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Related. It's like there's only so many resources. What can we do to compete with each other and capture those for? Do you think it's resource based? It's almost like it's. It, I think it's like a social status thing left over from when we were like. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, tribal apes. You know, like we're evolving. It's it's still in us though. It's it, it's funny. It's it's everybody hates it, and it's an inevitable part of growing a scene. Do you know what I mean? Like any scene, oh, it's as not it grows, elements <laughs> of that come into it. Well, there, there's a difference, and I think it's it comes with ego and, um, basically what you're describing, of this elite culture is fueled by a lot of ego and people thinking their only value is in standing out as better than other. Mm. Um, now, it is important to distinguish quality of art. And when you're telling a story of like, who are the exemplars of, you know, like we had our controller battle in Love Tech, which is a little bit weird culturally, because it was like, we're going to duke it out for like, who's the best controllerist. Um, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. But well, it, it, you can have a competition without making people, you know, without like, without othering. Yeah, and it's it, friendly competition. And there's other for, frameworks like cooperation, where you get more points for collaborating with other people. These are there's a ways to like pull back from an ego oriented aspect. Um, but what I think is important, at least in the cultures that I want to propagate, are um, how can we recognize what's awesome? by describing 
like how it really stands out as achieving something that's hard to do or made a really important message. Like how do we highlight that by just elevating how great it is without the contrary point of because the rest of it sucks. You know, like that, that, that's the key difference is like, I'm better than you versus look at how cool this is. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. That really is. It's interesting, man. I definitely want to go see your installation and I'm definitely stoked to see what comes after, after COVID and, and how, <clears throat> how the world opens up or our world, you know, like the art scene opens up. Um, like the social scene opens up. Hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's something new, you know, like people do something like innovative. New. Are you going to do love tech? Like, are you bringing love tech back? So we'll still do our, I mean, we've always done a minimum of uh, two things a year in terms of like an in-person gathering that is exclusively love tech organized versus, you know, being a part of another event. So I foresee continuing to do that as soon as it's safe to gather in person again. But what we might do more of actually is um, more workshop connections, uh, virtual meetings like this, um, and jam sessions as well. Another thing that has happened, uh, like we changed our frequency, our, our ratio of like big events to more small development and like uh, art jams, basically. So what I mentioned before with the digital jam lounge being interactive arts and at Love Tech, we've taken that model and had regular meetups with groups of typically less than 15 people where we'll just get our instruments together and jam and improvise and come up with new performance concepts and record some music. So that kind of event where it's like development oriented, um, we want to take that online. And I'm looking at various formats of how can we jam uh, musically without latency issues. Right. Because uh, that is a challenge, of course, in this media. Um, there's wireless, I mean, there's remote MIDI control and, and there's definitely, um, capacity to do this kind of thing in the virtual format. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always been, uh, balancing like the bigger contracts of, you know, building a piece for a museum and putting more resources there versus, uh, engaging with a local community and having, you know, bigger gatherings. So. I guess what I'm saying is there will be activity and I'm not sure the ratio yet of what we're going to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, and actually I'd love feedback uh, from people in terms of what they enjoy the most, you know, is it, is it those in-person gatherings where there's a larger dance party element with the um, interactive engagement of the installations, or maybe there's more ripe territory in focusing on those installations, integrating them into immersive environments. Or maybe it's just the educational side. So these are all uh, possibilities that, I, that I'm excited about. Yeah. Are you doing the Meow Wolf uh, installation under the, the Love Tech banner? Uh, I'm doing that as Rich DDT, like independent okay. artist. Yeah. But what we have, like in terms of the Love Tech banner, is a number of artists that we've featured and are considered Love Tech alumni. Mm -hmm. And we offer booking. So uh, here, here's actually a good way to describe it. We've moved from focusing the energy on here's a Love Tech event where everybody gathers because it's an awesome Love Tech party to here are Love Tech artists that we think are awesome. Here's ways you can support them directly and independently, which is a very similar model to what Kodame has done, which is cool because it gets money more directly into the hands of artists 
and helps them elevate their individual careers as well, similar to how I'm hoping more people get a chance to spend this COVID time developing their own independent art. So building up the individual while building up the umbrella organization, it's, it's, it's the balance of both really. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to, to find that balance even better. That's very cool, man. It really is. It's cool to hear what you're up to. It's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's cool to see that you're still keeping on, keeping on making art, doing cool stuff. Yeah. It'd be good to hang out in person. (laughs) This is all over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I look forward to that. Absolutely. uh, I look forward to, uh, anybody's inspirations, you know, like, um, if people are listening to this podcast and they have something similar they want to share, like, you know, reaching out and connecting and, um, finding that, you know, what I found through doing lots of events and connecting artist communities is a lot of projects are in stages where like there's an individual artist working on their craft and there's a really ripe opportunity to improve that art with a collaboration on another aspect, you know, like I spent a lot of time on the software and interface elements and less time on making an awesome welded metal sculpture, like the actual sculpture artist. So I've found great pairings when I've collaborated with people that are awesome at physical enclosure building. And, yeah, man, I, f- I find collaborative art is, um, is the most inspiring for me personally. Like it's almost, I'm almost only interested in like artistic collaborations, you know, like I, I love making art, but it's, it's so much more interesting when you involve other people and other skill sets and other, other expertise, other interests, other perspectives, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Making those connections is, is like probably the highest on my priority list. How do people reach out to, to, to get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, so, I'd say they could email me directly, uh, richddt at lovetech.org. You get a lot of email now. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> <Man. laughs> um, the Russian trolls, man, they're listening right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's also contact form on the lovetech.org website. Um, I'm relatively active uh, via like if people send me messages through Facebook and Facebook messenger, that's a good way to reach out to. Um, yeah. Oh, and of course we have our conversations going on our Facebook group as well. Um, but is that pretty active? Uh, it seems it could use more activity. I'll say like we have a variety of people that are doing things and will announce them. Um, but what I want, uh, more of is to spark more discussions about the nature of the art and right. uh, yeah so and it's so funny facebook is like the only reason i go to facebook now i log in and use facebook is for the, the the groups right there's a number there's a number of groups that i'm involved in and i'm just like well this is where that conversation is happening but it's like in terms of like facebook the wall or whatever that ship has sailed <laughs> like who the fuck uses facebook for the you know like in the way that facebook wants you to use facebook <laughs> i totally agree yep yeah <laughs> like social dilemma it's in a documentary watch it <laughs> that shit is evil <laughs> yeah 
controlling our attention. Yeah, man. That, that but yeah, the groups are a great discussion discussion platform. And Discord is like an awesome platform too. I love Discord. Do you guys have a Discord channel? Um, we don't yet, but what I so Love Tech collaborated this, you know, I should say we actually did have a Love Tech event this year, but it was all virtual. Love Tech paired with Synesthesia. Um, um it was the um dusty multiverse burn which oh, is a was it app. the burning man the burning man what platform did burning man use to have like their virtual burn was it like there a- were like eight of them <laughs> so it, it was the multiverse theme and that meant there were multiple platforms multiple burns in all different formats huh but there was one vr environment that they so had alt space vr was I'd say the best of the VR environments. There were there were multiple VR ones too, but um, Alt Space is pretty cool actually in terms of a very approachable social format because it does a great job animating your mouth while you're talking, and it feels very convincing. Like all of a sudden I'm a cartoon talking to my cartoon friends, and it feels oh, kind of interesting. Nice. Um, but the uh, my point is, we did our first Discord, and that was a synesthesia. And Love Tech Discord, uh, that was fun. We got a lot of artists that we featured on our stage talking to each other, and that was actually a great example of sparking new collaborations. Very um, cool. So it's, it's all about finding virtual ways to connect with people. Like that—that that is what 2020 and twenty twenty one maybe have been will be about. You yeah. know, it's like maintaining connection and uh, and being able to continue to grow community in a virtual way. Can you imagine if this shit happened in like, like the late eighties or early nineties or like, (laughs) can you imagine like, like trying to do this over like Skype in like 2002? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Would have been pretty rough. Yeah. We were, we were poised to make it easier. At least in the eighties, they had like those, uh, those like those uh, party lines. Right, it was like the telephone lines where everybody like dial into like a chat room on on the telephone. Uh, it's like the first example of uh, yeah, any kind of voice party. Oh, gee, guess so. right there. Oh, listen, it's uh, we're we're an hour forty five. Excellent, plenty yeah. of material here. Yeah, I was just gonna say, man, it seems like we've been going. This has been a good conversation. I really totally. Yeah. Well, I look forward to uh, sharing it with people. And, okay, um, I was just gonna say, I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have Sam uh, scrub it for like quality issues and remove our our five minute break, and then that's it. That's the ex- extent of editing that we do. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this with me. This has been really good. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, reached out, and it's. I want to do this kind of thing more often. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, of course, man.